And so if you would start to turn in your Bibles to the book of Titus, chapter 3, and I will be reading the first eight verses of Titus, chapter 3. And once you have found your spot there, as we do here at Apostles Church, for honoring God's word, we stand, if you are able, for the reading of God's word. And once I see your standing, I will begin reading. Titus, chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works." These things are excellent and profitable for people. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for this wonderful church that we have here to gather as sisters and brothers in Christ and encourage one another and build each other's faith up and also to be a light to the community. Lord, we're grateful for your church. Lord, we're mindful this morning that Apostles Church is not the only church here in Santa Barbara. And so together, uh, we as this congregation would pray for the other congregations in our city, Lord, that are faithfully preaching the gospel today. Lord, would you bless them? Would you bless their efforts? And would you continue to expand your kingdom here in Santa Barbara, not only through our efforts, but through the efforts of all other faithful local churches in our town? God, we thank you for your word. Your word is a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. Your word, of course, is true. And Lord, your word is able to instruct us and guide us and lead us to change. We think of your words, Jesus, uh, in the Gospel of John, that we ought to be sanctified in truth and your word is truth. Lord, please sanctify us today. Continue to change us and transform us into the people that you've called us to be. Lord, we don't want to waste our lives. We want our lives to count for time and eternity. We want to live the way you've called us to live. We want to be a light to this community. And so we pray this morning as we turn to this text here in Titus chapter 3 that you would instruct us and teach us and show us what it looks like and what it means to be a light during the times that we're living in. And we ask this now in Jesus' name, amen. Well, please be seated. As of today, we are 37 days from the election. 37 days until November the 3rd. And as all of us are aware, um, we are living in a pretty chaotic election cycle right now. We're living in some turbulent times and some challenging times as a nation and as a country and as Christians, we're in the middle of this and many Christians are struggling 
uh, with how to navigate through the times that we're living in. Because of this, before we start the book of Ruth, I wanted to pause this morning and next week and spend a little bit of time talking to us about what it looks like for us to be faithful Christians, faithful witnesses of Jesus Christ in the midst of this uh, cultural moment. Because yes, of course, it's true that you and I are citizens of this great nation that we call the United States. But even more fundamentally, you and I are citizens of heaven. And it's that kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, whose values and agenda you and I should want to advance most. And so during a season like this, we've got to be asking ourselves, how can we live? How can we navigate through this season? How can we live in such a way that we are glorifying God and we are representing Jesus Christ well? So over the next month leading up to the election, our goal should be as Christians to live and to act in ways that, again, bring glory to God. I titled this morning's sermon, Christian witness in a time of national outrage. Again, Christian witness in a time of national outrage. Before we unpack Titus chapter 3, I want to say something regarding the times that we're living in. And it's very simple. It's this. Family, I just want to say to all of you, take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. I was encouraged as I read through Psalm 113. And I just want to give you a couple verses out of Psalm 113. I think it's so fitting. This is verses four through six. The psalmist writes this, the Lord is high above all nations. That includes the United States and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord, our God, who is seated on high, who looks down, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth. The reminder there is, God is on his throne. God is sovereign. God is in control of all things. God is in control of our nation and our future and our destiny. So regardless of who our next president is or our next Supreme Court justice or who controls Congress, Jesus controls them all. So take a deep breath. We don't need to freak out. We don't need to be overly flustered. Jesus is king. Now, in our text in Titus, we're going to look together this morning first at our attitude toward government. That's there in verse 1. And then secondly, and this will probably be the more practical section of our teaching, in verse 2, our attitude toward one another. And I think there's some really, really important lessons here for us. Again, as we kind of put this into the context of our cultural moment. So let's get into this together. First, again, our attitude toward the government. Titus 3, again, verse 1 reads this, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Notice how he begins. He writes here, he says, remind them. Now, the author of Titus is the Apostle Paul, who wrote Galatians that we just finished studying. And Titus, the recipient of this letter, is a younger man. He's a pastor who's pastoring on the island of Crete there in the Mediterranean. And what's interesting is Crete was conquered by the Romans uh, about 80, or I'm sorry, BC 67 or so. And so at the time that Paul's writing this, they've been under Roman control for about a century. 
And the Cretans were known for being a little bit rebellious against the government. Uh, the Romans were this imposing kind of imperial colonial force that took over Crete. And they had this, again, reputation and experience of being a little bit unruly. And Paul here says, remind them to do what? To be submissive to the government. The fact that he's writing here, remind them, should tip all of us off to the idea or to the fact that this idea of Christians being submissive to their own government was a well-established idea in the early church. Paul's able to say, just remind them of what they should already know, what we already know as Christians, that Christians are called to be submissive to the government. Over in Romans 13, 1, Paul puts it this way to the Roman church. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. It's not just Paul who teaches this. The Apostle Peter says as much in 1 Peter chapter 2. This is verses 13 and 14. Peter writes this, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So in each of these three texts that I've read, there's this orienting idea of our attitude toward government, our posture toward our government, which is summarized with the word be submissive. Be submissive. Now, some of you know this already, but this term uh, that we translate into English, submission, comes from a Greek word that means to place or to rank under. To place or to rank under. You can think of the military and how in the military you have a, uh, you have ranks, a rank system. And if you have a superior officer or a higher ranking officer, you are their subordinate. And what that implies, of course, is that that ranking or senior officer has authority over you. In the same way, the Apostle Paul here is teaching us or, again, reminding us as Christians that government has an authority over us. And therefore, he says here in verse 1 that you and I ought to be submissive and obedient. Now, in both the 1 Peter 2 passage and the Romans chapter 13 passage, it explains that government is instituted by God for good, the good of society. Specifically, we see in those passages that uh, government is a force for good as it punishes wrongdoing and praises or affirms rightdoing. Therefore, we honor and respect our president, our congressional leaders, our governor, our county officials, our city council, our law enforcement personnel. We honor and respect them. And as we honor and submit to government, listen, we are honoring and submitting to God himself. Now, of course, at this point, many of our minds are going, hold on, hold on, pastor. Yeah, but. Yeah, but, right? Anybody feeling that tension? Yeah, but. And, and the question that we always ask as Christians, and it's a great question whenever we teach on this idea of being submissive to the government, is this question. Is there ever a time where we shouldn't submit to the government? After all, governments sometimes become forces of evil and actually begin to propagate and promote evil and punish those who do good. Well, the answer to that question of whether there is ever a time that we don't submit to or directly obey the government is, of course, 
yes. And there's two ways that this might happen for you and me. The first way relates to our citizenship in heaven. As I said in the introduction, you and I are citizens of heaven, of God's kingdom. And so if there ever comes a moment where our duty to obey God comes in conflict with our duty to obey the government, guess who wins? That was like a children's ministry question, guys. That was so basic. The answer is God. God wins, right? The answer is always Jesus in children's ministry. Jesus wins. The classic text for this is Acts chapter 5, verse 29. Peter and the apostles are directly confronted by the Jewish authorities. And the issue at hand is that they are preaching the gospel. And this gospel is declaring that Jesus is Lord rather than Caesar is Lord, creating a lot of conflict. And uh, they, they bring the apostles in and they charge them to no longer speak about Jesus. And Peter's famous response is he says, we must obey God rather than man. So he says, I respectfully disagree. I have an obligation to God and you guys can figure out what you're going to do with me, but we've got to continue to preach the gospel. So that's the first way that this might happen. It again relates to our citizenship in heaven, but the second way this might happen relates to our citizenship in the United States. In the United States, we are so blessed to not live under an emperor whose word is law. In the United States, we have a constitution that those who serve in our government swear to uphold. So when a government official violates the constitution, we can peacefully resist their orders and attempt to use legal recourse to right the wrong. This is what happened in the case of the salon owner in Texas a few months ago. She felt like her right to provide for herself was being violated, so she kept her salon open. She got arrested, and she decided to uh, basically turn her fate over to the courts. This is also, of course, what Pastor John MacArthur and Grace Community Church are doing in Los Angeles right now. They feel like because their congregation would need to use their indoor space, they felt like it was their constitutional right to gather and to worship, and they're dealing with the state over that right now. So all that to say, our submission to government is not absolute. Just as a wife's submission to her husband is not absolute or church members' submission to their pastors is not absolute, our only submission that is absolute is our submission to God Almighty. However, as a general rule, as we see here in Titus, as we saw in Romans, as we saw in 1 Peter, as Christians, we are called to submit to and obey our government. Christians are not anarchists. Christians are attempting to lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way, according to 1 Timothy 2.2. Christians are for law and order. Ordinarily, Christians should be viewed by their government as humble, gentle, peaceable, respectful, and yes, obedient. In short, Christians should be viewed as a blessing. So we see here in verse 1 that we are to be in submission. But that's not all that he says. Next, we are to be ready. And what does he say we should be ready for? We are to be ready for every good work. What does that mean? It means that you and I as Christians are supposed to be a people that are operating within this society who are eager to do whatever is good. 
So it's not just that you and I as Christians are attempting to live our life not breaking the laws of our state. Certainly that should be true. But it's that in addition to that, you and I as Christians ought to be people who are pursuing the good of our society through our actions. Christians should be a force for good in the society. Now, as you might already know, Christians are oftentimes accused of um, only being known for the things that we're against rather than the things that we are for. And I would just say that whatever energy we put into critiquing or criticizing um, our city, our, our county, our state, our nation, we ought to at least put that much, if not more energy into pursuing things that are good. Now, in a democratic republic like you and I live in, one of the most obvious ways that you and I can be promoting the good of our society is through the electoral process. To be a people who are considering as we're going into an election, what candidates and what policies are most likely to stand against what's evil and most likely to promote what is actually good. We should be a people who exercise our right to vote in an effort, again, to see more prosperity, more blessing in our society. And I know some Christians, and this is especially true in a state like California, but I talk to Christians sometimes who have a very defeatist mentality. It's kind of like, well, what's the point? Or they just say, hey, we're citizens of heaven. Who cares what happens here? But we are supposed to be eager, ready to do whatever is good. We should be wanting to be, again, a blessing in our society. And voting is certainly a path forward and a great privilege that many people historically have not had. During this election cycle, we need to be a people who are not just considering candidates and policies, though. We need to be a people who are considering our own actions. We need to ask ourselves, am I an eager person to do whatever is good? Are you using your words in good and wholesome ways? More on that in verse 2. Are you using your voice for the voiceless? Are you caring for the less fortunate? See, on one hand, the state should be promoting what is good because that's their responsibility. But the state also should be learning what is actually good by the example of the church. Here's what I mean. As Christians, if we're a people who are actually doing good and pursuing good, we're seeking to bless our neighbors and to minister to and care for other people, the blessing that that's going to produce in their life, the positive impact that that's going to have, the benefits that it's going to produce, should cause the state to look and say, well, those are the kinds of things that we want to support. Those are the kinds of things that we want to praise and value because they're able to see the positive impact that true biblical good works actually have in the community. So again, we need to assess, am I a person? Am I being a person who is eager to do whatever is good? So this is our attitude toward authority. Again, on one hand, it's submission to our government. On the other hand, it's an eagerness, a readiness to do whatever is good. But verse 2 is going to shift and turn to our attitude toward people. And this is so helpful, right? It used to be that there were, generally speaking, two subjects that people just didn't talk about when they got together. Anybody know what they are? Religion and politics. 
And yet here we are talking about politics in church. But the reason we need to do that is, well, because the Bible addresses some of these things first and foremost, but nowadays you can't really escape talking about politics. It's everywhere. Everyone is talking about politics. Things are very polarized in our nation right now. And of course, because of social media, you can't really avoid this at all. Um, I'm just amazed at how every time I go on Instagram or Facebook or any social media platform, they keep asking me if I'm registered to vote. Like they keep pestering me. It's like, I've been registered to vote since I was 18. How do I turn that off? But they are just coming at you. You cannot be oblivious to the fact that there's an election happening. What's so great here in verse two is that we get four instructions that I think are so orienting for us. Again, as we're trying to navigate what it looks like to be a witness for Jesus Christ during this tumultuous time. So number one, the first thing we see here is we are to speak evil of no one. Speak evil of no one. Slander no one. This is a tall order. I mean, that's all encompassing. He says, speak evil of no one. This is difficult. In Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2, we're called to honor those in government. Now, if you're a political conservative this morning, how do you speak of Biden and Harris or Governor Newsom? I've heard people refer to him as Governor Mussolini. How do we speak about our governor? How do we speak about Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer? If you're more politically liberal, or maybe you're typically a conservative, but you're a never Trumper, how do you find yourself speaking about Donald Trump? How do you find yourself speaking about um, Attorney General Barr or Mitch McConnell or other leaders that are on the right? We've got to stop and ask ourselves, how am I speaking about these people? Now, it's easy because we're so disconnected from them to just say things to other people because they're not in our presence or to say things over social media because I'm not talking directly to these people, but we are to be a people who speak evil of no one. Or how about are we furthering narratives or parroting labels that you've heard about these political leaders without actually going yourself and fact-checking to see if these things are true? This is so simple and so tempting and so easy in the days of social media. You see something and you share something, especially if it reinforces your views. You see it, you share it. But if we haven't ourselves determined whether those things are actually true and seen the evidence ourselves, we might very well just be participating in gossip and slander. How do you speak to other people that are on social media? How do you speak to other people that are in your social circle? Family, friends, coworkers. Do you speak evil of others? Name-calling, putting them down, gossiping about them, canceling them. Paul reminds us this morning, family, speak evil of no one. Number two, he says, avoid quarreling. John Stott wrote this about this idea of avoiding quarreling. He said, we are to be neither offensive nor argumentative in our speech or behavior. Be neither offensive nor argumentative in our speech or behavior. 
And I just want to pause for a moment, encourage you to pause and just think about what a different place we would be in right now as a society if we just applied this. If we applied not being offensive and argumentative with other people. For me, it's so saddening to see the number of believers, of of professing Christians who have no problem just tearing other professing Christians down in the media. They they don't seem to sense any conviction over this. In fact, it seems like they're trying to be unnecessarily offensive. And that's not the way of Jesus. Of course, this doesn't mean that we don't disagree with people. This doesn't mean that we don't dialogue with people. This doesn't mean that we don't express our views. It just means that we do it in the right way. We do it in a godly way. There's a huge difference between arguing and being argumentative. To argue with somebody is to basically share your views in an attempt to change that person's perspective. Being argumentative is picking a fight. It's trying to get a reaction from somebody else. It's, again, just kind of stirring the pot. The opposite of quarreling is being peaceable. In our study in Galatians, we realize that one of the fruit of the Spirit is peace. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 9, that blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We should not be a quarreling people. We should be a peaceful people. There's two more here. Third, we should be gentle. Be gentle. So we can share our views. We can debate and disagree. We can do all of that in a spirit of gentleness, showing compassion and concern and love for other people. If your goal is to make another person feel stupid or just to kind of get that jab in on that other person or to frustrate or enrage that brother-in-law that really gets under your skin, we're not being gentle. And this quality of being gentle in our conduct toward other people is so lacking in our national conversation. And to be honest, it's lacking in a lot of our personal conversations. Rather than being gentle, many people are succumbing to the temptation to be harsh with other people, to be reactionary. If they say these things, well, I'm going to double down and come back harder to be easily exasperated rather than being people who are gentle and controlled. Again, in our study of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, we learn that gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. A gentle person is not harsh, reactionary, or easily exasperated. A gentle person is, listen, a Christ-like person. Because as Jesus himself taught us, about his own heart. He said that his own heart is gentle and lowly. Fourth and finally, we're instructed here by the Apostle Paul in our interactions with other people. This one's amazing. To show perfect courtesy. Do you see that there in verse two? Show perfect courtesy. The idea here is to be a person who is considerate of other people. Now notice that he says, show perfect courtesy. This is, this is where it gets really hard. He says, toward all people. Translation, not just toward your own political party. Translation, not just toward your own echo chamber. Not just toward people who look like you, think like you, and vote like you. We should show perfect courtesy toward 
all people, regardless of who they are or how they feel. We are living in a time of national outrage. Civility is quickly dying. People are harassing diners and restaurants and screaming at them and threatening them as they sit and have a meal. Protesters and counter-protesters are having skirmishes and melees in the streets of our cities. People are standing outside of the private residences of some of our public officials in the middle of the night, making obscene amounts of noise and shining bright lights into their homes. People are screaming obscenities into the faces of law enforcement. People are rolling down their windows and hurling insults at complete strangers simply because they're standing there holding a sign that says Black Lives Matter or wearing a Trump hat. Family, we need to be a people who show perfect courtesy toward all people. We are not to be a people who are partaking in these works of darkness. And here's why this is so critical. Our witness is what's on the line. Our witness is what's on the line. Look at verse 3. I want to read 3 through 8 again slowly for us to consider Paul's argument here. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. In other words, Paul is saying, listen, we used to do the very things I'm telling you not to do anymore. We used to be those kind of people who were quarrelsome, who were always trying to pick a fight, who spoke terribly of other people, who didn't show courtesy, were not considerate of other people. We used to be like that, he says. Then verse 4, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Notice what it was that changed us. It wasn't the hostility of God. It wasn't God teeing off on us or verbally abusing us or fighting with us that made us go, you know what, I'm doing it all wrong. I should totally change the way that I think and act. He says, but when the goodness and the loving kindness of God was manifest, all of a sudden, the good news of the gospel came to us that although we were these people who are participating in works of darkness, God came to us to rescue us because he loves us so much. That's what changed us. That's what did something in us. We saw the goodness of God put on display on Calvary's cross and all of a sudden it changed everything for you and me. He goes on to say he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, Paul writes, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. So he's saying, look, we, we used to be that way. But God has saved us. And God has given us his Holy Spirit. Therefore, we as the people of God must be careful to be devoted to good works. We have to do this. 
And in this moment that you and I are trying to navigate through, we have a great responsibility because we belong to God and we have a great opportunity because the world is watching the church. You and I can demonstrate the qualitatively different kind of life that is available in Jesus Christ. A life that is no longer dominated by the passions of the flesh, like malice and envy, which leads to hatred, but instead a life that is dominated by the Holy Spirit, which causes us to be devoted to good works. Works such as honoring and respecting and obeying our government. Works such as speaking evil of no one, not being quarrelsome, being gentle, and showing perfect courtesy to all. This is what Jesus is calling us to. And this is what the Holy Spirit is enabling and empowering us to go and do. And this will cause us to stand out as a totally different type of people. A type of people who aren't caught up in what everybody else is doing right now. A people whose hearts have been changed by the love of God. And as a people whose ultimate hopes don't rest on a president or a party or a policy, but rest on a sovereign and good and faithful God. And that's what matters. That's what our lives need to be displaying during this tumultuous election cycle. And so family, I want to just now pray together as a group of Christians that God would work these things into our hearts for his glory and for our good. So would you please pray with me? Father, we recognize that it's all too easy to enter in to mindsets and attitudes and perspectives and behaviors that are not consistent with the way of Jesus. And Lord, we need to begin, myself included, by confessing our own sin. Lord, where perhaps we have been anything but gentle, we've been harsh with other people, or where we've been complicit in speaking evil against others, or where we've sat back rather than being eager to do what is good and what is right during this crazy time that we've lived in or that we are living in. We've sat back passively and allowed evil to triumph. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us and I pray that we would be a people who are committed, who are ready to do what is good. Lord, I pray that you would cause us to internalize these things that Paul was telling Titus that he needed to instruct the churches on the island of Crete 2,000 years ago to do. Lord, I pray we would internalize these things. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who show honor and respect, kindness and civility to everyone, not just those who think like us, not just those who agree with us. Jesus, you taught us that typically people love those who love them and hate those who hate them, but Jesus, you taught us that we ought to love even our enemies. And yet, Lord, some of us are struggling to love a family member, a longtime friend, a co-worker, a classmate. Because of what? Because they have different views than we do. Lord, forgive us. Lord, please empower us by your spirit to be agents of peace, 
to be, again, agents of Christ-like gentleness during this time. And Lord, we know that people are going to say things that rub us the wrong way. Lord, we know that some people do want to be quarrelsome and just pick fights and argue. And I pray that you would give us wisdom and discernment to know when to enter into conversations and perhaps when to say this should be shelved for another time. And Lord, I pray that our reaction would always be, again, gentleness. That we would not be a people who are easily exasperated. And Lord, I pray this not just for apostles. I pray this for Christians across our nation. Lord, yesterday in our nation's capital, tens of thousands of Christians gathered for a moment where they were praying together for the future of our nation. And Lord, I pray that as all those Christians have gone back into their own churches and into their cities, that Lord, each of those churches would be places that again are representing Christ well. Lord, we know that non-Christians are often going to disagree with our ideas and our views and our morals even at times. But Lord, we pray that the one thing that they cannot disagree with is our consistent Christ-like love. So Lord, let that rule our hearts. Let that rule our tongues over the next 37 days and, and obviously even beyond that. And Lord, we do pray for our nation. Lord, we do pray for those that are in positions of authority over us even now. That Lord, you would give them wisdom and that you would cause them, whether they're believers or not, to make decisions that are consistent with your desire for government, that they would exist for the common good, that they would exist to punish wrongdoing and praise what is good. So Lord, we pray for your hand to be on our nation, on its leaders, and on every one of us as citizens here in the United States. And Lord, we pray that the future of this nation would be a more just and equitable one for every single person who is blessed to live in the United States. And we ask this in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. Amen.